baby, I say it's okay. I just doubt the bullshit like it's Olay in the money of the women. I can find my balance. I'm finna text my exes like a nigga stay in Dallas. See me, I'm wild. I'm a maverick, fellas. Ball like Swiss, cause I'm straight to the cheddar. You say you the best, but no, I do it better. Hit a girl from NY, although I just met her in paper for paper, like pages to beepers. The money be calling, I put her on speaker. I do this for my niggas, I swear I'm the keeper. Don't tell them boy stories, I bet that the sleeper. She want me to keep her, I bet I delete her. And if I don't kill the track, then I bet I'm the reaper. Homie, we really don't play. No, we don't. No, we don't. Hey, you are listening to The Elephant in the Room, Episode 2, with your host and moderator, Ed Davis, Um, and we have Brother Howard as usual. How you doing, Brother Howard? I'm doing good, Ed. How you doing, brother? I am doing great. Today, we have decided to talk about black-on-black crime. Uh, We're going to let Brother Howard talk, uh, basically, uh, and give us a rundown throughout history, uh, cause, effects, um, and everything in between. Uh, Brother Howard, how would you like to start this? Well, let's, I would say let's start at the beginning, but, you know, but, uh, and, and I think I will, uh, <laughs> as it relates to a uh, black on black crime, um, one uh, interesting aspect of it, I, I think, Many times in the community, as we approach that that particular issue, we are, we always had to look at crime in the, in the culture in and of itself as being criminal. And I, so, uh, I'll get to black on black crime, but let me look at the culture in and of itself being criminal, or the term criminogenic. In other words, the culture was developed from its beginning in its function as a criminal element. I know that's hard for a lot of people to digest. And I'll give you an example of that criminal element. And, and, and we often say that in the communities for years, the attack on the Aborigines people by the settlers or the Europeans was that not a criminal act. Okay, we toss that aside and look at how this thing was structured in the beginning from this criminal action and how this criminal mentality is rewarded on one side and is hostile on another. So crime is one thing and the criminal is another. Black on black crime is that analysis that takes us deep into what I call the dynamics or the psychodynamics of how culture is transferred to people, how we are inculcated with culture to behave in a particular manner so we aid in the bet in our own destruction due to our psychodynamics, how we think, how we function, our desires, needs, wants, and how we derive as something that we call power within our own ego mechanism. So the black-on-black crime and black-on-black criminal is created by a much deeper system that I talked about earlier in our first episode of the elephant in the room being the system of white supremacy and the derivative racism that you see. Very harsh words, but very real words as it relates to how 
these cultures transfer themselves or this culture transfers themselves or projects itself or its own criminal image onto African-American people or people of color. So now, Ed, we have blue-collar crime, white-collar crime, and crime is being is codified. See, all under the guise of maintaining a social order within that. So black-on-black crime is a very difficult thing to talk about. It's a very scary thing to talk about, but it's a scientific analysis on behavior and how we aid in the bet and we become the criminals that they project us to be because we become powerless in our own communities to wave off that aggression. So, and this projection comes from many different ways. Symbols, icons, movies, music, literature, and it's been coming for centuries as the Europeans have not only colonized in America, but the world in and of itself, and also the minds of those who were colonized, intergenerational. So we have the missionary schools centuries ago that set the tone in terms of education and so forth and so on that took us from one place to another where our memories were lost from our original culture. Now our behavior becomes that which is projected from another culture or something external to self. Powerful, powerful thing. So black on black crime, we can speak about, and I can speak about it in Africa, in Mesoamerica, in South America, anywhere else in the world, as tribalism or any other process that comes from destabilizing the culture. The males, the females, the family unit all become destabilized, and also they don't understand their culture. They can't access their economics into wealth, the resources, their own educational process. So it's a very, very deep thing, and the communities will have to come down uh, and really go center stage about the conversation on crime, black-on-black crime, and the policing that's happening in the communities now that has always happened, who the police are, what is justice, what is law. We have to be able to redefine those things because the current definition of all those things does not fit into what is really going on in terms of our community or any other community outside of that power group that has designated these laws for hundreds of years. Who are these people? Again, as I asked in the first episode, who is behind the projector and what are they projecting to us and on us? And we have not been able to keep that infiltration of that projection from our people generation after generation after generation. So we continuously expect this functionality and we follow a dysfunctional model within it. It's very destructive in that regard. So, you know, it's, it's a very deep thing. And uh, any, any questions there? That are... Okay. Uh, so let's let's kind of go with uh, economics, okay? Right. As far as a contributing factor to black on black crime. No um, question. With the no with, question. with the way the drugs are. Uh, the, the drugs are in the, I don't want to say black community, but where drugs are infiltrated in the the, the poor sections of town, crime rate okay. is higher. Uh, we know that a lot of these drugs are brought in outside sure. of the United States. Yeah, and, we, and we've known that, and we've known, and, and that's been, 
you know, th th that elephant in the room, that's been exposed for uh, for a long time. We knew that was common sense in, in a way. We knew that. But when you when you go to economics, Ed, and, and uh, in terms of that in the community, even how we view economics in our community is, com is completely different than how this thing is coming to us economically. Because once you control economics, in a sense, not only control the so-called African-American community completely, but it's the world community that is controlled through economics. So anytime people become debt slaves, that becomes an issue within the community. Now, to become a debt slave, you must be understand and be educated in consumerism. Now, how do you train and calculate and orientate the species in black community and human beings in general to become debt slaves or orientate them to become consumers. Not only do we consume products, we consume ideas, we consume mythologies, we consume those things that shape our world and our paradigm. And this consumer energy, and this energy is coming externally from a powerful force. So in a sense, Ed, we're downloading these applications of consumerism. So as we become consumers, our desires to consume become relevant. So we look for power in our consumerism. So all those symbols come into play when you talk about economics and so forth. So in our community, we have a lot of money and wealth, or what I call, what I call income, but it's consumer income and not what I call viable wealth. In other words, land, resources, and production mechanisms coming into play where we're making our own clothes, our own things, and we're buying them in our community. We patronize our own community and other communities, and we become uh, the labor force and so forth and so on. So economics is certainly the conversation that has to, to coexist with the conversation on black-on-black -black crime in, in the criminogenic process, period, when we deal with the elephant in the room. So we have to look at that debt slave and how that relates to power in the community. So now we have families broken down through the economic process because we have nomadic men, boys, or whatever, not able to maintain economics in their families because the lack of opportunities external to the community and not created inside the community. I always tell folks in my class, if one generation doesn't set the table for another, now we have hostilities among the ages. See, this is a criminal act, too, when you have a 20-year-old and a 72-year-old on par with each other, and the 20-year-old would attack the 70-year-old. You know, only a physical attack could be a mental attack, could be disrespect, or whatever we may call it, a small nuance in the community that may not exist years ago. So we had that gulf and that bridge between the young and the old established by the young saying, what have you left on the table for me? You see, because I'm not going to sit here and sing uh, uh, gospel hymns and, and march up and down the street. I'm going to attack this thing in a different way and try to look for power because that's what it's about. You see, that's not a good thing or a bad thing. You know, that's just a thing that's based on physics. And human beings have to abide by the law of physics as well. Make sense, Ed? Yes. Uh, so then you're saying that a lot of the violence within the black community is undoubtedly fueled by job loss, uh, debased identity, 
uh, and rampant physical decay uh, of the right, community. Right, right. And, 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 when I, and when I say it's self-perpetuating and we aid in the bed in that, is, is our, our mentalities and the way we think that allows it to go down within a quarantine area. Because you mentioned earlier, in these particular areas, they, they keep the demographics on the stats, so to speak. See, the, 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 the story of the data and the stats really means nothing in terms of what's really going on in the community. We can go through the oral story, the written tradition, and so forth and so on, but you know the vibrational frequency in the community and what's happening in the community. You can see it aesthetically. Any town in America, you can drive down a particular street and you can see the border between the hood and, and the, the so-called uh, commercial community. Yes, brother. Any city in, in, in America, you can drive down. You can see the border and the boundaries when you're entering the hood. You can feel the vibrational frequency. It's aesthetic, but it's a frequency. It's a frequency where economics doesn't work. It's a frequency where other processes don't work. There's a high level of dysfunctionality that's going on in the community. You, you see what I'm saying? So I, everybody's I in the process do. of trying to escape that particular thing but it's quarantined because it's in the mind as well and that's the place it starts now let me ask you this why is or in your opinion only uh why is black on black crime considered black on black crime where white on white crime is just considered violence because we're the poster they don't say, they, you, know, you know what I'm saying? They don't say white on white crime. What I mean by that is that we become that criminal element. Because in my first episode, I talked about the, the, the stage of a development in, in Europe where light and dark and, and racism and the codification of racism started in the Indus Valley and spread itself around the world. I'm going back some centuries, but that virus, that psychological virus, is still in the set today. It's pathological and it has always been in place. The same thing is in, is in effect today as we look at it. This conversation is, is very much a global conversation. It can be quarantined in any community in the United States, Canada, wherever it may be, but it's all, there's always factors involved in it. We see the same commonality in each community, whether it be in Denmark, I've been in the hood in Amsterdam, London, Paris, same kind of vibrational frequency, different people, different grooves, so to speak, but the same frequency was there, destabilization and so forth and so on. So you felt that destabilization and it comes in many different ways. Economics, a powerful piece, but it was the mentality that really took us to another level because we enacted that destabilization ourselves. So it became self-perpetuating at a global level. See, now we have it across the board. So we have, we look at criminals and we look at crime differently. So people say black on black crime, but of course, like you said, Ed, we don't say Asian on Asian crime or, or Latino, Latino crime or Chicano, Chicano crime, whatever we want to call ourselves that particular day. We don't talk about those things and the so-called stats on that black on black crime specifically because the duality is in, in antiquity and it is really the conversation and the elephant in the room that duality encompasses all the spectrums and hues 
whether it be brown, yellow, red. That duality is really what this thing is about. So when we look at black on black crime and look, we have to understand the whole process of violence in America. And if you've been exploited violently, you have a tendency to exploit violently. So we look at the repetition of this violent going from one generation to another. Many of my groups throughout the years, many of the brothers and sisters and the people and, and the human beings in the group, I would say a large component of them have been abused emotionally, spiritually, and physically at a very young age, almost routinely, they had to deal with that kind of process where no one says anything. So we have a wounded community in that respect. So we had the male-female dichotomy, which we'll talk about next week, that takes us to another level that's thrown off in the balance of this thing. So it's important for us to have dialogue and to center ourselves in ourselves and present the blueprint so we can understand these things at a different level. So as you talked about earlier, the problem, maybe not, but deal with the, what I call the harmonization of it so the problem would not be internal. We can look at the external component, but it's the internal virus that comes into play. See, to, to, to deal with a vampire, you must know the rules. You don't invite them into the home, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Correct, Ed? That's correct, yeah. Right. So look at culture as a sense as a vampire-victim relationship, if you will, if you know the aspects of light and dark involved in that. And I say that metaphor and use that analogy simply because that's really what it is, Ed. That analogy really comes from the psychodynamics of our minds, the relationship between the dark and light. Don't you see it, Ed, yeah, in that I, I process? Yeah, I understand what you're if saying. If you know the rules and regulations and so forth, you, you act accordingly. So in the light, you were able to move much more uh, and matriculate the day and the night the vampire ruled. You see, all these things came into play. It's about culture, you know. It's about the blood, and it was about the blood and the blood being the energy and how the energy was transmitted. This is all little metaphors, all we see in Hollywood transmitted to us. We don't understand those things. We don't look at the symbols, understand the icons, the ancient codex behind many of these particular processes, but they all fit into how we look at the world. So now the world says, how do you look at yourself? So our projection is global, see? So we don't only project our super groovy music as when you play your music thing, black music and so forth. They listen to not only the beat and the rhythm and the vibration, what, is, what are they saying lyrically about themselves? What do they say in their negritude, so to speak, in their literature? <laughs> what do they say in their presentation of art? And this is a heck of a thing for us, considering we've been here since the beginning of time, in terms of homo erectus and homo sapiens. Right, right. You know. Wow. Okay, now let me just say this here and get your opinion on this as well. Uh, because I don't even remember where I actually heard it, but when you tell, quote-unquote, a black person to be more respectable 
and not mm-hmm. kill one another, aren't mm-hmm. you really identifying a black person as savage uh, brutes who deserve to be gunned down because of their lack of humanity? I mean, aren't you like kind of dehumanizing them by like no. saying? I, you, you know what's really, really, they, they, there's no question that dehumanization and, and, and so forth comes into play. Remember, you know, we talked about duality, Ed. If you have an inferior and on one side, you have the opposite of that on the next, this bipolar relationship. So what if this black community lives in this powerless process, but they look for power within the framework of powerlessness? I know it sounds crazy, but what if it becomes an artificial consciousness that's developed from that? And we deliver that artificial consciousness to each other continuously. So the rules and regulations change within that artificial consciousness of ourselves. It's not even real. It's something that we had to shape in our cage, in our psychological imprisonment. Not us not knowing ourselves completely. We had to do some different shit. We had to become some different. So in that artificiality, we approach each other in that particular manner. You see, because self-hatred is a continuous process and reverberation that we have to look at. Because anytime you cannot identify the enemy, your so-called energy becomes reactionary and retaliatory. You start to retaliate. In other words, the energy goes back into yourself. There's no place for it to go. See, that's the essence and the sense of black-on-black crime. So we have that criminal element in that process, but there's no enemy. There's nowhere to go with it. So it seeks this false power within the framework of the community. It hates everything that looks like it, smells like it. You're responsible for it. You see? So if it can't reach its enemy, it looks deeply into the mirror and sees itself. And it sees you, it sees me, and everything that looks like it. So it becomes a victim and victimization process of power within that quarantine area. See, it acts itself and it manifests itself on a physical plane of matter, but it is the mind that creates this schism. It is in the mind that the cellular level that we have to look at it and eradicate this thing in the community by understanding what we're dealing with and looking at, again, how we aid in the bed to become co-conspirators in our own deaths. Uh, correct. Now, but see, now, I think you misunderstood what I was trying to say. Uh, but if, if I'm telling somebody, if I'm telling a black person to dress better, work harder, or be more respectable... Uh, doesn't that divert attention uh, from the the oppressor to the behavior of those that are disenfranchised? No. You no. don't think so? I, I think when you say that, for instance, uh, an older generation may say, hey, young brother, why don't you pull up your pants? Correct? Yes. Correct? So let's look at that thing as it relates to what you're talking about. Say the older brother knows symbolically what those pants mean down below the brother's waist. Say he knows about the chain gang, feminization, and other what he perceives to be symbolic processes of why his pants are going down, why he why he can't run so-called from the police, why that strange relationship there even involved in fashion. Even if we look at fashion, Ed, now we look at what is respectable. Like, we look at athletes 
And years ago, let's look at Alan Iverson, 15, 20 years ago, when Alan had tattoos and he was rocking the hip-hop vibration in the NBA, right? Yeah. And they asked Alan to be respectable. So they also asked those who scored touchdowns to be respectable and not go into their polyrhythmic selves in a respectable world. So now we have to look at what is respectable and set that dialogue and, and, and that, that cultural turn of respect. So I say it all the time when I see the youngster's pants come down and stuff. I, in my mind, I say, I sure wish he would pull his pants up because I don't want to see his underwear. And I wish he knew what it represented. You know, and then I said to myself, even if he did know, will he be able to deal with the peer pressure or uh, in processes with that, with only knowing the, the calculations of lower self and not the higher self that can take him out of those particular little nuances that we have in the community that drive us to the grave. Symbols, Ed, symbols, all symbols. So you're, I hope you see how your question was answered and, and, and how we approach that and how we measure things. So what is respectable? We have to even look at that now. That's heavy, man. Yeah. It's, it's heavy. I didn't want to, uh, I, I, I didn't want to distort your, your, your original piece, but <laughs> I wanted to add that framework in it. Because you're a sports fan, you're, you're a sports commentator, you, you, you know when Allen and you know uh, in, in, in that microcosm of the sports world, you see it many times in terms of something that may be in black and white, and you see this cultural collision and how we react and how we proactive things on the field, off the field, and how their world is. We see it in, in, the, in the criminal indictments. We see it in the domestic violence process and, and what that comes from as, as it relates to black-on-black crime, you know, and so forth and so on. See, there's many different things that we have to be able to come to the table to and talk about the community that we have never done. See, how do we educate uh, the young in the community without education about sexuality, which is not physical, it's actually mental and spiritual. It's at a whole different level. This is, it comes from the subjective realm. It only manifests itself in the objective realm through matter and thought process. What is the precursors for that? Now we deal with birth, now we deal with different processes of building the family from that science. We haven't used that particular science uh, that as we'll talk about in later groups uh, and, and later sessions as, as we go on with our, our, our presentation, the elephant in the room. But all we're trying to do, our objective is to create that dialogue at a global level because people all around the world are listening to this conversation and many people won't have these conversations about those things that really affect everybody in the world. Like I said, this conversation can be in Ghana, it can be in Southeast Asia, because we see destabilization and disenfranchisement around the world as the resources were colonized, as colonial and pre-colonial processes have been the edict of the day, it's never changed, and there's been the mad science taking place that people are starting to examine now and uh, saying to themselves, how can we stop being sheep? How can we stop being sheep? How can we stop being those who follow the Pied Piper? And who is the Pied Piper? This is a very, very, very powerful issue. And this speaking about black on black crime is our main topic today. It took us many different places and it really should. 
you know, when we centralize it and talk about community policing and all those other things, should the police get cameras? We already got it on HD. How many times you got to see a 12-year-old shot in Cleveland on HD? How many times do we have to see it and wait for justice and law to come into play? So I have it on film for 70, 75 times, 30 times, and <laughs> you still see the same result again and again. So that tells me that everybody and the dog didn't have a camera. That just means there's more angles and more frames. That's simply it. Cool. Well, we're gonna, let's take a quick break, and then let's come back because, and I want to get your take on this, the average or the, um, like, 85% of black victims of homicide are right. males between the ages of 17 and 29, um, right. which we're going to find out, is this like a genocidal thing? I mean, is this trying to... Um, to eliminate the black race, we're gonna get we're gonna get Brother Howard's view on that right after this this commercial break. Hey, this is your boy Dominique Davis. Be sure to catch me every Wednesday on the Double E Podcast NFL Edition to hear my picks as well as my personal take on the Denver Broncos each and every week. And I'm also going to be part of a brand new podcast called I Got Next. It's going to be every Sunday with avid gangers talking about what we do best. So be sure to check in every Wednesday and every Sunday to hear your favorite person on the double E, Dominique Davis. All right, Brother Howard, you still with us? Oh, I'm still with you, brother. Cool. Now let's talk about this black on black male violence between the ages of 17 and 29. Okay. <laughs> I got you, man. I got it. Let's deal with the stats on it. Alright. Uh, yeah. yeah, we don't need stats. Uh, do you think it's a like a, gen- a internal genocidal uh, conspiracy or, or I mean, what what is your take on it? Why are well, we losing so many brothers between those ages. Well, it, it's it's a powerful, powerful piece. When we look when we look at that piece, we have to look at the criminal justice system. We have to look at incarceration. And and, and you said the, the word genocide. There's no question about that. But we have to look at population and depopulation and the age group that gives birth. You know exactly. what I'm saying, bro? Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, why I chose this part of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's different there's different ways to skin a cat, and, and I'm not going mono on it because this is something that comes at us in different ways. But when we look at uh, that particular group, like you said, and, and their uh, and the genocide effort, it's coming institutional through the criminal justice system, and also again back into that conversation about black on black crime. How do we deal with that psychological damage in our community? So we won't aid in the bed in that process. So we, we're able to do our own community policing, or at least have the conversations in the framework of our own history and culture. And I said that conversation has to be done in the framework of our own history and culture, and it has to deal with our body politica, not the external body. But see, we have a lot of players in our community that don't understand that process. See, 
because we get caught in our own classism and our own schism about this thing as it relates to, to this. But you're right, Ed. Is it a conspiracy? No, it's history. A conspiracy simply means people coming together and planning things. We know damn well that they plan well. <laughs> history is all about that planning. We know this. So there's no problem. They use terms like that to distort and eliminate and dilute processes. But this conspiracy has been going on for quite a long time, if you want to call it that. I simply call it a process of us not understanding the dynamics of it and able to stop that vampire's victimization of our community by understanding the nature of it and stop giving up our blood supply, i.e. I'm back to the genetic process you're talking about. So the 17 and 29s that die, a lot of them kill themselves in this community. You know, only physically, they're already dead, not being able to take care of themselves economically, mentally, and spiritually. Now we have the homeless and mental ill community in our midst as well. Now we have a variety of different things coming out of that process that we deal with. Oh, everything, Ed, everything from the feminization, all those things have to be tapped into when we talk about those age groups and what we think about up until that age group. And I can go beyond that. So not only are framed the 17 to 29-year-olds, oh, brother, it's a worldwide phenomenon. See, I definitely will agree with that. Uh, and it also said that uh, firearms uh, are accounting for 77% of all the uh, homicides uh that that are you know connected to black on black crime. Uh, right. How how easy is it to get a handgun then? Well, in, in terms of that, um, you can get any 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 gun you want in any time you want anywhere you want. Everybody's known that. <laughs> I mean, come on. If the, if this is the development of the wild wild west, why would we not think we're not in Dodge City? <laughs> and as Dodge cities come so metropolitan that we don't understand the dynamics of it. It's always been the same thing. All we got to do is go down and see Miss Kitty <laughs> and pick up the gun at the saloon. It's that easy. We know that, and, those, and, it, and it, that's the accessibility of it. But see, it's not the guns. It's those behind the guns that really the peril. See, we put it on the gun. That's a piece of metal. That's a piece of metal. So what is behind it? What's the mentality behind weapons and war? What's the mentality behind mass destruction in the street? What is the mentality behind these things? That's what this conversation has to go into. So you're right, Ed, on, on that, in, in terms of this amendment, that amendment. It's deeper than that. It's deeper than that. But we know what that's for. And Chris Wilson always called it the, the great equalizer. And that's why it has that phallic shape. See, the gun has been the great equalizer, and it's able to do what it does, and it equals the playing ground. You see, yeah. when the Chinese so-called came up with gunpowder, I don't know if the gun was their original intention. I believe it may have been the Europeans that took that science to the level it was, where it may have been a creative mechanism Chinese fireworks, but the European concept of the gunpowder was something else. So now we look at 
the mentality of the people behind these things. Can you get what I'm saying in that as we look at it deeper in that? Yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah. Oh, so you're exactly right on the gun thing, Ed. We always, that's always been in the community. That's always been in the community, access to these things. Education to them has not been in the community. Education to them has not been in the community. How to clean, how to use, what they're for, what the process of it, and how and where to aim them at has not been in the community. If indeed you must aim them, don't aim them at yourself. Now we're back to 17 and 29 year olds, you know, taking part in their own destruction. Don't aim it at yourself, Ed, as you kill another like you. That's what that black on black crime process is about. So it is genocidal to that degree, but it's the self-perpetuating aspects of it that really have to be examined. So we know we the external piece. We can put that down on the board and look at history. We can examine that process and say, okay, we need to make a, a radical change in how we think and how we do things and how we formulate our, our, our text in terms of teaching, how we talk to the males and females in the community about who they are and so forth and so on and our identity, our personality all those things come in so the guns, that's a big thing but it's a large large, large issue but like I said Ed, you're right it's always been acceptable and it always will be you know, in the community and in itself that process of who's behind the gun so if we got fools in our community behind the gun, we're in trouble and we have been yeah. So that's why we have drive-bys. Uh, have you ever seen somebody that practice on a firearm for a whole 15 minutes, drive-by <laughs> anything? Come on, come on, man. <laughs> that, uh, that's insane. So and when you have that insanity, that tells you that nobody cares about anybody that they hit. All they want to do is shoot it. So human life in that particular area means nothing. That's back to that quarantine mind. So guns are super destructive in the area, in the world, where people aren't educated and they have to use them in a warlike manner, you know, because it's the, in the mentality and the destabilization process. So that is a real, real deep issue that um, comes into that conversation. We talk on talk about crime. We talk about uh, moving the forward uh, community forward in, in terms of its, its uh, own personal development. All right. Now here's my next question I want you to get or I want to get your opinion on okay um, yep. and we're going to talk more about uh, music here uh, okay. so in your opinion why is Black Death Death so popular we rap about killing each other uh, we uh-huh. say it's just entertainment but, right. but if that's the case why can't uh-huh. we rap about killing white people why can't we rap about killing Jews, cops, or politicians, and it uh-huh. be considered just entertainment? Uh, well, I understand. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, very, very much a, a interesting question, and it kind of goes back to, to that pool of, of that we're, we've been speaking about uh, for this last hour or so. Um, music is a frequency; it's a vibrational frequency. It, it tells us many different things. It, you, you know. It really does. So, so you think when the we rec- talk about oh, when we talk like- about but you, you talk about those so-called other ethnic groups, we don't talk about the so-called 
external or enemies, people outside of herself. And self-hatred and our inability to understand who we are makes us vulnerable within the context of our own art. So in other words, with music, we degrade ourselves in that because that's what we know. That's what we know. So we have a small snippet of these things. And that goes back down to that cultural projection, Ed. So we have bitches and hoes and all that kind of process and the so-called language that dudes in hip-hop and all those things, gangster rap, all those things, either negative or positive, are part of a vibrational frequency that we have not been able to control with our own consciousness. So we've commercialized that projective image of ourselves and made money with that particular image. And now that image becomes the language in the community. So now we have young brothers in the community that call uh, women particular things, and they have been for some time now. And vice versa, even the women call themselves those names. They identify themselves with these negative names through the music and these negative stereotypes within our own community. That is a vibrational frequency that is delivered through symbols, icons, and other things in the community. You see what I'm saying? We can become ghetto fabulous, can't we, in our own mind as we walk down the hood with Michael Kors, gear on, Perry Ellis gear, you know, Tommy Hilfiger gear, you know, in our Cadillac, in our Mercedes, and our other material symbolic suggestions of self all having to do with the frequency and the vibration and the music is paramount for us to get control of because the message of self for, for us is often delivered through the music. It's always like that, Ed. That's why the drums were so important back in the day and we used to transfer that frequency throughout the village vis-a-vis the drum, which was the mother's first heartbeat. So it kept the cultural cadence and it fits to, into the axiom or the principle of rhythm. And when you're off rhythm and off cadence, that message is a negative message delivered into the community through the music. And remember, in our terms, music is communal. So this communal music we have now is saturated around the world and people around the world get the image who we are through our music. So if we're in the community talking about bitches and hoes and what we have in terms of our material possessions and all those kind of good things that we do, people see that around the world and that image and shadow is cast of who we are, so-called as African hyphen Americans, vis-a-vis the music. So yeah, black death comes through those things that we don't understand with frequency and vibration and how important it is to control and develop those things from our own essence. If we don't, they'll be used and we'll be pimped like we have been. And once you get pimped, the pimp-hole relationship is hard to break. You dig? Right. Now we're talking music now. Now we're talking music because you, you know this. You're old enough and you've seen the, the different dialogue and music in the community. And it, like, for instance, when I grew up in the East Coast, and, and, and there was a, a particular deal when you had to know a little bit about John Coltrane, a lot about Miles Davis, a pinch about Dizzy Gillespie, you see, 
a, a bit about Lena Horn, Betty Carter. You see what I'm saying? Lady Day. This All connected right. you to the frequency in your history, you know, to know about this. We call this jazz, you know what I mean? Or or, or this was the, 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 the gospel or the blues or the rhythms that came from them. These were the teachers uh, in terms of the musical frequency that we put together. You see, it goes back to juju music. It goes back to the drums that I told you about earlier in antiquity. This, these are vibrational frequencies that are, are timeless and infinite. So when, we, when they when they seize our music, that takes a big piece and chunk out of who we are and our personality. When they control the music, they control the frequency of your kids and how they think. I know that firsthand and secondhand. That's what we're dealing with when we deal with the young in the community. So all those icons and images and that vibrational frequency becomes part of their personality, who they are. See, and they tell the same story over and over and over again. And we and when we hear it behind different trunk beats, that's off the chain, brother. That's off the chain. You see, like I said, back in the day, when we had to look at those beats and we had to understand the relationship between uh, the gospel, blues, and jazz, and so forth. Old folks used to tell me all the time, you know, blues is the preacher, jazz is the teacher. Blues is the preacher, jazz is the teacher as it relates to the conversation we having now about music and black death. See, so we don't deal with the preacher or the teacher anymore. We have a new construct coming in. So this construct has delivered a message of self-destructive death, but this death comes in a material form as we construct the material things. What won't you do for that $1.5 million vehicle, you know what I mean, that you drive around in that video? What won't you do to live in that light world, illuminated world? What won't you do? I'm speaking, I'm speaking secrets to you now, Ed. What won't you do to be in that world of illumination, which you perceive to be illuminated in the music world? <coughs> that's the industry that's cutthroat. That's the, that vibrational frequency that's going around. And it's important. It's beyond political. It's part of who we are, and we reach ourselves through the music. So when we talk about that piece, that is added in, they talked about, and the whole conversation, even on the black on black prime priest, like we're talking about today, back to the topic. We haven't gone on a tangent. All these things are one. All these things are one. They're talking about components and tentacles and how the web is slung in the general conversation. You know, and we break it down in class and workshops and think tanks. We put it down, work out the science of it, and everybody says to themselves, now I see it. Now I'm able to deal with this a little bit, and the albatross on the shoulder that's artificial may be alleviated somewhat so they can think a little bit clearly. You see, that music thing is big, brother. See. Big. Now, yeah. now uh, Malcolm X said at uh, one time, and I just want to see, do you think that we're getting more towards this? He says, if you're not careful... The papers will have you hating the people who are being oppressed and loving the people who are doing the oppressing. Do you think that we are, that the media is is winning that battle? What in, in, in terms of what delivering a message, message of oppression? You mean? Yes. You know. Re repeat that for me one more time, Ed. Okay. It says if you're not careful, the papers uh -huh. will have you hating the people who are being oppressed 
and loving the people who are being or who are doing the oppressing. Wow, it, 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 isn't that isn't that ironic? Uh, that that works so many different ways. We can talk about the so-called Stockholm syndrome, as the victim starts to identify with those who victimize. Yeah. Right. You heard of that syndrome before, Ed? Yes. The Stockholm Syndrome. In a sense, there's some Stockholm Syndrome going down. That's what happens when you become enculturated and you assimilate a particular culture. So you're, you're, you're exactly right in that, uh, in that process. You're exactly right. And, and one of the things that, that, that relates to this, and, and, and this, this may be a strange twist, and, and we, we always use in the groups, Never mimic somebody that's mimicking you. Ah, it's, like, it's like a dog okay. chasing its own tail. So in a way, what I mean by that is we have we have a tendency to mimic things that mimic us. So when, when they extract and extrapolate from our culture, the symbols and so forth, whether they be beauty symbols, you know, the thick lips and all those kind of good things, we don't see them as beauty inside of ourselves but we see them as external beauty on others. Does that make any sense Ed, when no. you talk about those things, when, when he was talking about the oppressed and the oppressed and the relationship between those two? It's easy to understand that, but it's very difficult in terms of who's the victim and victimization and what levels it goes into play, you know? But now the power dynamics come in and you see that in terms of the victim and victimization. We always have to look at power as it relates to that. Like we would always do groups and classes, and, and the simple question was, I would have a room, maybe 25 people would be in the room, Ed, and I would ask the room, is anybody in the room racist? I would have 15, I would have people with all different views and colors, right? And, and inevitably, everybody in the room would put their hands up and say they've, they've experienced racism or they've been racist themselves. And then I would say to all the black people in the room, to put your hands down, you cannot be racist. And then they would get pissed off and say, why can't I participate in racism? Why can't I be racist? I said, you have another form of racism I'll talk about later. You can't be racist because you have no power. So you have no power to determine reality. So the white boy's hand is up, is legitimate symbolically, not that individual white boy in the room going through a program, so to speak, but the reality of his world and the world he represents, so to speak, has power behind it to determine reality that we adhere to. So that power relationship allows him to be racist where the black hand up is a falsification and it cannot be racist. It can deal with a, a process that we call prejudice, which is a normal functionality, but it cannot be racist because it has no power to render anything. So, in other words, that black person, uh, that white person that's had to come to you in the morning for a job interview, Ed, see, the chances are you're not going to be the person that owns the company to hire them. But when you go and work, chances are you have to go to that person to fill out your application, try to get your job that you need to take care of your family. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Do you see what I'm saying on the power piece? Oh, yeah. It changes the it changes the whole process, and you the conversation of racism. You have to look at the power equation as it relates 
spiritual reality as it relates to how power is constructed in our system and who constructs that power and, and, and how that framework is put together. So that's why racism is so difficult to talk about and such the elephant in the room because we're talking about systemic system where racism is simply a derivative of it. That's why this conversation is global and anybody around the world listening to this conversation should engage in your email and so forth and so on and send questions, you know, so we can talk about those on air. This is a global conversation that we're having right here on this tiny podcast channel. It's a big conversation that needs to be had, you know, you know, about how we move forward in terms of the human species. So, yeah, brother, we have to understand all those dynamics and, and break those things down to, to heal ourselves a little bit better. Right, right. Well, man, this podcast is almost over. Um, real quick, is there any kind of a mix that that um, we could start to kind of curb this black-on-black violence? Is there anything that, that you'd recommend that a step yeah, yeah, to, hey, to hey, right it? now, right right now, what we what we're going to, what we have to do and what's going on is is we we have to look at our our culture and be brave enough to sit at the table and look at the blueprints that are out there. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We simply have to look at the blueprints of cultural development that have been rendered down by our scholars for the last hundred years, if not thousands of years, if we look at it philosophically in terms of social engineering. We have to use our own scholarship and our own memory and take these things and turn them into pragmatic material experiences on this level now. So this this we must do by going deep into ourselves and having the forms for it. So I suggest every community around the world that can engage in the critical conversation about developing communities from within itself. You see what I'm saying? You see, because yeah. remember, remember, and I'll leave you with this note, Ed, and, 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 and in my field, they often use this term all the time. They always try to rehab people. But what if, and I always told them, how do you rehab something that hasn't been habilitated in the first place? How do you integrate something or reintegrate something that's never been integrated? You see what I'm saying? See, we always have to look forward and look and be very leery of how these words and how these uh, mind processes come down on the community. We always read something. We always read religion. We always relapse. We always reconstruct. So if we're doing all this reading up, what have, what have we lost when we have to re-up? I tell you what we've lost is our cultural minds and integrity and the ability to think in our own manner. See, once that is redeveloped in the community and that dialogue comes in, these things will fall out like dominoes, bruh. So now with that conversation, are we brave enough to have a real conversation? Peace, brother. <laughs> cool. Look, this is uh, episode two of The Elephant in the Room featuring Brother Howard. If you have any... Um, God, opposition, anything to add, any comments, suggestions, whatever, hit us up at double E D O U B L E 
785 at gmail.com. You can even put your comments on SoundCloud at the Double E Podcast. Um, where and uh, reach out to us on Twitter uh, or even on Facebook. And both of those are Double E Podcast as well. D O U B L E E Podcast. Uh, on behalf of Brother Howard, I would like to say thank you. Brother Howard, any last words? Oh, no, no. I, I, I gave it, man. Um, good, good day. Everybody have a good, good day. We'll see them next week, brother. Yeah. And uh, once again, shout outs to the Steelers. An incredible win over the Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> yes. yes. I'll go with that one. Hey, nigga. Know that we don't play RPM and you know we here to stay, nigga. Know that we don't play. Shout out to Jabari the Great, nigga. Know that we don't play. And we chilling, yeah, we posted at the function. If she got no dressing, then I'll get the stuffing.